Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the reminders of that love as we continue to look at this creed. This creed that has helped us share our faith and help hopefully uh, in make that faith become something real for each and every one of us. So Lord, as we remember that love for us, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So this week we continue our series on the Apostles' Creed. And we've been taking the creed section by section, and we're, we're kind of pausing again here in this middle section about Jesus Christ, because that, that is the foundation of, of our faith, what Christ came and did on the cross through his, his death and through his resurrection, how, how we were taught by Christ through all of his uh, teachings that we have written in Scripture. But there's also something very important to remember, that, that there is a, a, a dual nature of Christ. We talked last week about Christ's full humanity, and today we talk about Christ's full divinity. If you look at our sanctuary, and especially if you look at our altar, you'll, you'll notice that we normally have two candles that are placed on the altar. And there's a reason why we do that. It is because it helps remind us. It's a visual interpretation that we see both the full humanity of Jesus Christ and the full divinity of Jesus Christ. You can't separate the two, but yet we can talk about both of them because they have extreme importance in our life. Now, before we really get talking about Christ's divinity, I wanted to address a little bit about one sentence that, that causes a lot of people to stumble around the Apostles' Creed. Matter of fact, you may have noticed that when we have said the Apostles' Creed before, we've left this sentence out because it doesn't quite make sense to us today. Well, hopefully, with, with a little bit of time that I'm giving to it today, that we, we can finally understand a little bit why that, that place, that sentence was placed there. It's a sentence that, that's there that says that Jesus descended to the dead. Some translations of, of the Apostles' Creed, it says, Jesus descended to hell. And then on the third day, he rose again, and then he ascended in to heaven. This phrase was originally admitted out of the Methodist hymnal back in the, uh, the late 1700s, but it finally came back in the 1989 hymnal because those who put that hymnal together wanted to make sure that we didn't ignore this important aspect of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
When we talk about the, the Holy Week experience, we, we talk about the work that Christ did on Monday, Thursday, where he instituted the, the, the Last Supper, where he was arrested and then, and then taken to Pilate, where he was crucified on Friday. And then as a church, we, we like to skip over directly to Easter and we forget about the time that Jesus spent in the tomb. Matthew Emerson wrote a book called He Descended to the Dead. And in that book, he said, Indeed, Christ's entire exaltation is an upward movement. The descent is the first of three stops on Jesus' victory tour. First, he proclaimed victory in the realm of the dead. Then he proclaims it in the realm of the living. And then finally and universally, he proclaims it in the heavenly realm. In other words... The descent begins in Christ's exaltation through the universe, three tiers, the underworld, the earth, and the heaven. Uh, and what, what Matthew Emerson is writing here is saying that when we look at Jesus descending to the dead, it isn't that he went down to hell to be punished. It was that that was the start of, of, of the victory of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus had victory over even the grave. And that allows us to experience that eternal life that we have starting now through our deaths and through our times after we leave this place. That, that, that God loves us so much that he wanted even to conquer the power of death. Now what does that mean exactly for us? Well, I think it may be easy to put it this way, that there is no part of human existence to which Christ did not descend, that there is no place where God is afraid to go. That's why we go to God in the midst of our pain or our trials or our disappointments. Well, that's why we lift up our prayers to him is because we know that God meets us even in the midst of our pain and sorrow. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets, we know that we can always go to God. And Jesus will meet us there in the midst of our pain and sorrow. See, that's what descended to the dead means. It, it, it means that, that the victory is ours even before we can even think about the victory, that Christ already did the work, and the victory is there for us as beloved children of God. And as we continue to take a look at this second part of the Apostles' Creed, I invite you to go to Scripture with me. From words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because the dead are not raised. 
sorry, excuse me. Let me start that over. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who, who have died in Christ have perished. If for the life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, that's very, very dense material from Paul here in, in 1 Corinthians 15, but it's important to, to remember that, that Paul is defending or, or, or sharing the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is a tenet that we hold on to, and it is a tenet that, that we proclaim as we gather together, that we are no longer people that are trapped in death and despair. But we are, are, are raised to new life because of what Christ has done for us. And because of that, it gives us some ways to help think about the importance of the fact of Christ's resurrection. First, it speaks to Jesus' trustworthiness. See, Jesus just talks about being the Son of God. And if Jesus wasn't the Son of God, then Jesus would be a liar. <laughs> Jeanette Jolly read a part of our scripture this morning from Matthew chapter 16, where we hear Peter's confession, where, where Jesus looks at his disciples and he asks them, who, who do you say that I am? And the other disciples that were gathered there talk about how, well, he's, he's Elijah, he's John the Baptist, come back from the dead. But Peter makes this confession saying that you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. And Jesus then promises that, that the church would be built upon Peter and, and upon this confession that he made then and we make even today that we believe that even though Christ did all of these great things on earth, that, that the most important thing that we remember and we proclaim is that Christ rose again so that we may have that life and have that life abundantly. It speaks to Jesus' sufficiency. Only a, a, a perfect, sinless sacrifice would atone for the sins of humanity, even if, if Jesus had been merely a man, he would not been not have been eligible to save us from our sins. And, and this goes all the way back to Leviticus, where where Moses is setting up a, a, a system for the Israelite people. And one of the things they would do in Leviticus chapter sixteen is that they would set up a scapegoat. And they would pull together two goats in front of the entire community. 
And, and one of the goats, they would, the priest would lay their hands on the head of this goat and then put all of the sins of the community on that goat and then send it off into the wilderness, showing that, that a debt had been paid, that their sins are, are gone from the community because the scapegoat has left. Well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was the ultimate scapegoat by allowing the sin of all humankind to be placed on him so that we may have life abundantly. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, Isaiah writes, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have a tendency as humans to, to want to turn our own way, to think that what we know is the right way. But Christ came so, so that our sins can be laid on him so that, that we may have life and live in abundance with Christ. It also speaks to Jesus' authority. In order for Jesus to establish a new covenant with mankind, he had been given an author, he had, had to be the authorized representative of both parties in that covenant. He had to be both man and he had to be both God. We see that as Jesus taught, he shared all authority had been given to me. When Jesus would teach, he would remind us that you have heard it said this, but I tell you another way. You, you have been told that you should, you, should not, you should not kill, but I tell you that even if you look upon your brother or sister with hatred, you have killed them in your heart. For Jesus to make these statements, it is a bold and, and, and audacious claim of who Jesus really is. We see this through his actions, how, how Jesus showed his divinity by miracles that he did, by, by turning water into wine, by sharing that he had authority over the temple, over demons and sickness and disease. It shows when Jesus had the power to forgive sins. And when people came to Jesus and he took time to heal and touch them, Jesus showed his divinity through them. And then finally, through the cross and the resurrection. From our scripture this morning, Jesus, Paul writes, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. With Christ descending from the dead after he hung on the cross, and then rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, it shows that the power of the cross to forgive us of our sins and the resurrection of Jesus gives us life and gives us that life abundantly. It's a confusing thing for sure. 
But thanks be to God that, that he has given us the power to conquer the grave. Thanks be to God that he has given us a, an example for us to live our lives so that, that we may live in that fullness and turn around and share the good news with others. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that talks about the absurdity of Christianity, if you will. And C.S. Lewis wrote this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. See, when we look at our faith, we hold it to this, this extreme importance because we know that through Christ, we can fully live. We know that through Christ that we have the power to, to go out into this world as Christ representatives, to, to, to renew our minds as we heard in the, in the passage of Romans today, to renew our minds to live free from sin and death and from the power that the grave has had over us to know that we are lifted up. So my hope and my prayer is that as we continue to, to dig into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we hold on to the divineness of Christ and give thanks for his love for us. Let us pray. Oh God, we know that you have conquered the power of sin and death. And because we proclaim that you have risen, we know and give thanks that there is no part of our lives where, where you have not descended. So Lord, right now I just pray for those who may be suffering right now, those who may be wondering what life has for them. Make yourself known to them so that they may feel your power in their lives, so that they may live as your beloved child. So God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the power that he has in our lives, and thank you for allowing us to live as resurrection people, to share your love with others. And we pray this. In the name of the one who loves us and cares for us, Jesus our Lord. Amen.